this morning I'm going to talk about parental paradoxes. And a paradox, and that's a great example of a paradox, uh, a paradox is a contradiction. I wonder if you can turn to your neighbor and just say, a paradox is a contradiction. Turn to the neighbor on the other side and say the same thing. A paradox is a contradiction. That's a great little clip, wasn't it? It really, really is. So a paradox is a contradiction, and I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, from an English perspective, um, in literacy circles, uh, this sentence is a lie is a good example of a paradox. It's true, but it's a lie. So how does that happen? How do you have two things, one true and one false at the same time? It's a paradox. Uh, here's another example of a paradox. Uh, you've got a wooden ship, and then over a period of, say, two years, all the wooden uh, planks because they're rotting and the ship are replaced with new planks. Is that the same ship or a new ship? Bit of a paradox. I know it's early in the morning. You're looking really blankly at me. I mean, I, I'll try not to see your ears. You've got steam coming at your ears for some of you. Uh, here's another paradox. Um, well, that's paradoxical. I can't remember it. <laughs> um, I honestly can't. It'll come to me, I'm sure, I'm sure. But paradoxes are contradictions. Oh, here, here it is. Um, it's more tiring to stand than walk. Just have a think about it. It's more tiring to stand than walk. Well, last time I realized that when you were walking, you were actually standing. So it's a paradox. It's, it's, it's sort of true, but it's false. And uh, so this morning, I, I want to follow on from the four Ps with another two called the parental paradox. And um, this is all in the context that we are the children of God. We are the family of God. And so if you can keep that in the forefront of your mind, this is about family. We are the children of God. And, um, <clears throat> and so that's what we're going to be having a look at. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, let's turn to Genesis uh, chapter 6 and verse 9. And the Bible is full of plenty of examples of parental paradoxes or paradoxes of one way or another. Something that seems true, but it's not. Or if that's true, how could that be? Um, and we're going to start off by looking at um, the life of Noah. And the whole term paradoxal, uh, parental paradox was a term that was used by um, an academic in the Netherlands in the um, early to mid-90s. And then other uh, writers have um, carried on with the term um, particularly Dr. Alan Myers, um, he's a pastor in Australia, and this is where some of this material comes from. But um, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says, This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. That's a pretty good statement about a person, isn't it? How would you like that about, about you? If Noah, you're a righteous person, you're a good person. Walking in close fellowship with God. Is that true? Is that true? Yes, it's true for every one of us. And um, it certainly was true of Noah. You know, he's a good man. And, uh, you know, because the flood comes, and at the end of the flood is Noah and his three sons and their wives. So it's Noah and his wife, three sons and their wives, so eight people. And I don't know about you, but if I was thinking, gee, my dad has just saved the world, he's a pretty cool guy. He's a bit of a superhero. He's, he's the captain of the All Blacks. You know, he's, he's, he's a top guy. He's a good person. You know, there's really nobody better than saying, my dad saved the world. 
It's incredible. He's a good guy. And what makes it even better from God's perspective, he's a good and righteous person. Now, that's really good, isn't it? But here's a paradox. It's not all good with Noah. And things don't quite go as you'd expect them to go. So let's flip over a few pages and go to um, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. And... um, Here it goes. After the flood, Noah began to cultivate the ground, and he planted a vineyard. One day he drank some wine he had made, and he became drunk and lay naked inside uh, his tent. You could say he was an active participator at that moment with his uh, wine. And um, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw that his father was naked and went outside and told his brothers. Then Shem and Japheth took a robe, held it over their shoulders, and backed into the tent to cover their father. Can you just imagine that two brothers walking backwards? There's dad, I'm not looking. Don't look, don't look, don't look. And of course, they cover him to cover his nakedness. They, as they did this, they looked the other way so they could not see him naked. Verse 24, when Noah woke up from his stupor, he learned that Ham, his youngest son, had done. Then he cursed Canaan, the son of, Sam, uh, uh, Canaan, the son of Ham. May Canaan be cursed. May he be the lowest of servants to his relatives. Now, that's a paradox. Here is a good man, a righteous man, a superhero, if you like, who saved the world. And then three chapters on, he's drunk. He passes out. And when he wakes up, he finds that his son has seen him naked, and he curses him. That is not, I don't know about you, but that is not a good thing. That is a paradox. That is a contradiction. How can such a good person do such a bad thing. And here's the thing, this is not the only example in the scriptures, there are many. And the lasting impact of this paradox called behavior doesn't impact Noah. Noah wakes up from his drunken stupor and life carries on. But for Ham, for Canaan, this curse has an influence on them for generations. And so handling parental paradoxes um, right from the very beginning of scriptures, and we are faced with all of them every day, well, not every day, but often in our lives, in our home lives, in our workplaces, handling these paradoxes of good people doing things that are not so good is a really important thing. And today I want to look at how we are to respond to paradoxes, particularly parental paradoxes. If we get this right, It will put us in a position where we're really powerful. It will put us in a position where God's power can flow with us, through us, and God can use us in ways that would not be possible if we don't resolve the issue of paradoxes, particularly uh, parental paradoxes. So it's a very important principle to understand and grasp with. So we're going to go and have a look at King David in uh, 2 Samuel, just briefly. David gives a great illustration of how to handle paradoxes. And so what happens is that uh, King Saul has been out to get David for a number of, in fact, for many years. And um, you know the story well through First and Second Samuel is that David, on many occasions, has to escape from Saul, from his men who are trying to kill him and cause him a lot of trouble. And King, or David gets the sad news that Saul and Jonathan have been killed on the battlefield. 
And I don't know about you, but when somebody who's been after your throat has just died, how would you respond? You'd go, yee-haw, justice has been made there. Finally, this nemesis is out of my life. Is that how you'd respond? I'm sure many of us probably would. But here is the amazing thing. David shows us the way to respond to a paradox. He doesn't respond in like manner. This is how he responds. In 1 Samuel chapter, 2 Samuel 1, 23, 24, I will read this to you. So 2 Samuel 1, 23, 24. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. So this is the guy that was after his throat. He says, how beloved, how gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold. And of course it goes on and on. And so what David is doing is this paradox, and he's responding to Saul's imperfections by the most honorable way he can, lifting him up. Isn't that amazing? It's an absolutely amazing response. And there's no sense that uh, David is forced to respond this way. He is choosing to honor Saul, the fallen king, and his son, Jonathan. Uh, And I think that's amazing. It's a wonderful example of how to honor people, even when people have caused us difficulty and pain. And that in itself is is a wonderful tribute to David. But David's life like Noah's life, is filled with paradox as well. Noah is a good and righteous man, and he does, gets drunk and does, curses his son, his grandson. It's not a good thing. David is doing all this good, honoring Saul and Jonathan, and things are going really, really well for David. Uh, the people gather around him and say, David, we think you're great. Why don't you be the king of Israel? They come along with him further and say, why don't you, sorry, the king of Judah, the king of Israel. Jesus even says that out of your loins or out of your family will become the Messiah. What an honor for King King David. But not all is well with David either. There's a paradox that hits in his family. David has six wives. Maybe that was a problem. I don't know. Six wives, many children. And the firstborn of his um, first wife is a son called Amon, and um, of his other wife is a son called Absalom. And um, what David does, rather than being out fighting, he peers over the fence and sees his neighbor's wife and desires her and becomes intimate with her. And as you know, he, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. So trying to cover his tracks, he sends for her husband who's fighting on the front line to come back for a couple of nights, be intimate with her, and uh, that will be covering my sin. But the thing is, Bathsheba's husband's thinking, my my soldier's on the battlefield. I'm not going to be intimate with my wife. I'm going to sleep on the king's porch. So how does David respond to his loyalty? His loyalty to serve him, to fight, not be with his wife, he kills him. Now that's a paradox, an absolute paradox. And so here's David, he's a good man. He's the king of Israel, Judah. Uh, God makes some fantastic promises. He commits adultery, he murders. And then the paradox that follows this, because 
um, David's eldest son, Amon, well, he goes, takes a fancy to his half-sister and rapes her. David does nothing about it because it would be a little bit two-faced. Absalom goes, Dad, come on, sort this out. They're not talking together. Two years, three years, four years, five years go past. David and Absalom are not talking about it. Absalom is getting more and more frustrated and more and more angry at his father for not resolving this until he gets totally frustrated and destitute with it, dishonors his father, and then he is killed with three javelins through him. And so it's an incredible paradox. Here is this great man of God, falls into sin, his two sons are killed. And the, the amazing thing about this paradox, as we saw with Noah, and there are other paradoxes in the scriptures, it's not the father. In Noah's case, he got over his drunkenness. It's his son, his inability to handle the paradox that suffers. And here's the principle we need to learn, and God has created the family situation is the environment of how to handle paradoxes. And paradoxes come up all the time in our families. Some are really simple paradoxes. Others are complicated. I'll give you an example of a simple one. And as I was preparing this, this came to mind. Um, who can remember first day covers on envelopes? Okay. Well, too, too young. Okay, for, for all those really young guys... A first day cover was, was an envelope with some stamps on it, and it might be stamps of a theme. Usually two or three stamps, maybe more. It might be sailing vessels. It might be um, um, an athletic picture or whatever it is. And every couple of months, I can't remember how often it was, these stamps on these envelopes, it was the first day the stamps was released. They were caused, caused first day um, cover stamps, and they would be posted to you, and you'd collect them. And I had a number of them. And I had this really nice first day cover um, with these sailing ships on it. I really liked it. And I left it by my telephone, our telephone in our house. And um, the phone went. My dad took a call. So what did he do? He turned the envelope upside down on the back of it and began to write all his notes on it. And I'm going, Dad, if you're so good, how could you do that? Of course, some, that's very, very minor. Um, some paradoxes... You know, children would see their dad beat their mum. And then the next day, see their dad bring flowers or jewellery to their mum. It's a paradox. And the way we handle this paradox, and I want to encourage us today, wherever you are, whatever sort of paradox you can recall, whatever sort of paradox you're facing, it's a big deal that we handle it the way God wants us to handle it. And so I want to encourage us to be good at handling parental paradoxes because if you can work it out in your family, this will help you in your workplace, it will help you in your church relationships, it will help you in your social relationships, it will help you in every other relationship. And if you like, it's a test on how we respond. It will particularly help for you if you're a young person. And I want to really encourage you with this today. So this is really important. If you can grab hold of this, if you've got it sorted, great. But I want to encourage us as a church to step in and go, we can handle the parental paradoxes, which empowers us to handle other paradoxes. And when God sees us do that well, He goes, right, you're sitting in a place 
where I can use you the way that I want to use you. If these things are unresolved, it makes it more difficult to respond to God. So what is the antidote to parental paradoxes? You'll know it well. Exodus 20 verse 12. If you've got your Bibles turned there. Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Isn't that amazing? Honoring your parents, not so it goes well with your parents. It's not about your parents doing great. It's about you doing well. That's what it's about. And God is saying, in the paradoxes of life, in the unseeming things where a parent can be good and do something that's not good, Jesus says, or the Word of God says, the answer is to that paradox, lift them up, honor them, esteem them. As you do that, you're not giving a commentary on their parenting skills, no matter how good or how bad they are. What you are, you're giving a commentary on your character. You are making a statement, God, I will align with your Word because this goes well with me and my relationships that follow. I'm sure you've, I even look at my own family, where uh, my sister uh, would recall events in our family very different than what I would. I would see this perspective and i go, no, it was never like that. She goes, it was terrible. And I go, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Now, honoring doesn't mean face facts. It doesn't mean not face the facts that Noah went and got drunk, it doesn't mean not face the facts that Noah, sorry, that David committed adultery and murder. But it is saying honoring, forgiving, and healing the different but important things that we need to imply in our home relationships. Really important. And if you're a young person here today, I want to really encourage you. Choose to honor your parents. I know mum and dad are not perfect. But as we lift them up, we are positioning ourselves for God to use us and work through us. We're positioning ourselves for healthy, long-lasting relationships. Well, it's got to be good, doesn't it? I had a thought about this. Have a think about this. Um, our, the DNA that we each carry, 50% of it comes from our parents, from our mother and our father. If we dishonor yeah, it's 23 chromosomes from dad and 23 from mum. Is that, is that right, Mike? Something like that? 40 cents, 46 chromosomes? Our DNA comes from our parents. If we dishonor our parents, we're dishonoring the DNA within us. We're dishonoring the very genetic inheritance within ourselves. If you dishonor yourselves, you're going to dishonor what God can do through you. If you honor your parents, you're honoring the DNA in you that God can work through you. And here's the crazy thing. Honoring your parents, really, at the end of the day, is not about your parents. It's about you. It's all about you. And God wants the best for you. So that's going to be a cool thing. We're honoring that it will go well with them. Well, well with us. And so honoring... Learning to do that in your family situation means that it's going to impact the way we relate one another in church, 
in our workplace. Because I don't know about you, have you noticed the workplace is not perfect? It isn't, is it? Church is not perfect. Our own families are not perfect. But if we choose to lift others up, we're making room for God to have his way. I think the other thing too to note um, that's really, really important about this whole thing of parental paradoxes is you can tell just by the sound of a person where they've come from. I can tell if you've come from Australia. England, Scotland, of course we can order it. There's an accent, there's a sound. There's a sound that comes from a person that hasn't resolved the parental con- um, paradox as well. There's a sound that comes from them. They're bitter. They, they always did this. And guess what? That contamination of that relationship flows into other relationships. And so to stop the flow of negative relationships, God is saying, if you learn to handle this paradox well, the benefits will help you in every other relationship. And so here we are. We are born into a natural family. It's a beautiful thing. You know, Jacinda Ardern and, uh, announced, well, you know, they've had their baby. That's wonderful. Beth and Caleb have, have had Zeke. Um, are they here this morning? So that's great. Others are coming. It's just wonderful, isn't it? We rejoice when there's the birth of a baby. God and his angels rejoice when we're born spiritually, renewed spiritually. And just as we've got to handle the parental paradox physically, spiritually, there's another paradox to handle. So we're born again. Just as we have physical senses, so we have spiritual senses. I was, I was struggling through these in the 9 a.m., wasn't I? Uh, um, I'll try them again. So our physical senses are sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell. Thank you. When you're born again spiritually, God says you'll be born again. What spiritual senses do we have? Do we have the same as physical senses? Okay. When we're spiritually, when we're reborn, when we're born again, when we become a new spiritual being, when we become part of the family, our spirit is activated by the Holy Spirit and it has five senses just as our physical body has five senses. How do I know that? For example, go to 2 Kings 6, where there with Elijah is a servant, and there's a whole um, army around him, and, and Elijah says, Lord, open his eyes. And he sees the chariots of fire. He's singing in the realm of the Spirit. It's spiritualized. When, when the, the shepherds are, are there at the birth of Jesus, hearing the angels sing, their spiritual senses are activated. When Jesus is healing people and somebody comes up and touches the hem of his garment and he says, who, touches, who touched me? And the disciples said, everybody's touching you. No, who touched me with faith? And this woman, it was me. And Jesus says, according to your faith, be healed. So church, this is really important. We have these physical senses God is training us in our family environments to handle the paradoxes, the imperfections of honor of others through honoring and lifting up others. When we're born again, we have these spiritual senses. 
And then likewise, as we honor God and honor one another, the Holy Spirit wants to develop our spiritual senses so we can, be, so we can grow and function in the kingdom as God wants us to function. Are you with me? You look a bit stunned. God wants us to move us out of the realm of living into the physical to living in the realm of the Holy Spirit. And so we are a spiritual being with a soul that lives in a body. Spirit with a soul that lives in a body. I just, I just, it's just something that's just come to mind. I'll just share this with you. In the 9 a.m. service I, I, gathering, I shared the same message about, yes, I did say service, didn't I? Don't tell Sheridan, please. Too late, yeah. We're still, don't tell Jan. Uh, um, so I was talking about honoring, just as I've done your parents, your mother and your father. There was a person in the gathering who said to me, uh, my ex-brother-in-law has just passed away. And my sister, their relationship was very strained. And my niece, it was equally as strained as well. But um, just, I, I sent them this text, and he had this text, and he showed me, and he said, look, I'm really sorry to hear about the passing of your um, your dad and your, your ex-husband. Um, uh, my thoughts are with you. Can I encourage you with this scripture? Honor your mother and father. And he said, I just sent that five minutes before I heard you say that. Isn't that amazing? He was prompted by God's Spirit. And so, church, I want to encourage us to grow and develop in yielding to God's Holy Spirit. And so, um, one of the, the first thing to do is train yourself to listen to God. Train yourself. Now, take this for example. If you're a pilot flying a 747 or a 737 or an Airbus, whatever they call them these days... If you're flying your Airbus and there's a fire in one of the engines and you're the pilot, this is what the pilot, the pilot doesn't say this. Oh, God doesn't love me. Look, this has gone wrong in my life. God, God, what's wrong, God? What have I done wrong? What are you punishing me for? And it's such a, a response that's so easy as Christians when things go wrong. God, what are you punishing me for? Don't you love me? It's so based on circumstances rather than the understanding of the conviction of who God is and who He says He is and we are. This is what a pilot does, and this is what we expect a pilot to do. They're trained to, to take off, fly, and land the aircraft. If an event like that happens, this is what the pilot will say, or something like this, because I'm not a pilot, but this is what I imagine they would say. Ladies and gentlemen, there's an incident on the plane. Don't worry, we've got it under control. I'm sure he's really wetting himself, but he just says that to calm us. He'll then phone Rodeo, the, 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 the control center. We've got a fire on board. He's communicating, going backwards and forwards. Instantly, they'll activate the extinguishers on the engine to put out the fire. They'll dump fuel. They'll go through a set of procedures, tick, 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 with their pilot and the co-pilot to handle that situation. It's been rehearsed, and he's been trained over and over, and, or she's been trained over and over how to handle that event. That's what they do. One of the things that I want to encourage us, church, is how well are you training yourself to handle events? 
Jesus was masterful at it. In Psalm 22, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We think the Psalms are written for us. Those Psalms were written for Jesus. When he was on the cross, he had rehearsed that over and over. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was quoting the Scripture. He was walking in the fulfillment of the very words of Scripture. 700 years before Jesus arrived, there it is written in Scriptures. The Bible is the book that Jesus fulfilled. And do you know, Jesus has a book for you to walk in and walk out of. If you turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Just come in here. And it talks about in this particular scripture... Here it is, Malachi 3.16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record those names who feared him and always thought about honoring his name. God keeps a book about it. In Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verse 16, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. Before a single day had passed, God has written the book for your life. The Scriptures is the book for Jesus' life, and of course we have the privilege of engaging, and it's a book for our lives, of course. But God has written a book of how He wants you to walk out. And every day, God gives us the invitation to do it. And those that have learned to honor God... And walk in that in spite of the paradoxes and tune the five senses spiritually and prepare themselves, they're going to have the joy of walking out what God has planned and designed for their lives. That's where God wants us to belong. That takes a journey to do, and we're all on it. And it doesn't matter where we are on that journey, whether you're just beginning or whether you're a long way down the track of it. I want you to encourage to step into that journey that God has for you. And as you learn to deal with the paradoxes and grow and engage with God, you're going to have the wonderful experiences of working with Him and for Him. I'll just give you this example. Now, I mess up lots and lots of times. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Just ask, just ask Wendy. And, um, but I do enjoy this. I do enjoy asking the Lord to give me opportunities to share faith. And I, I want to encourage you to do that too. I, our toilet broke down yesterday. Wendy wasn't very happy. So I went off and dutifully tried to repair it. And um, so I worked through it, and there was a piece in there that wasn't working properly, so I had to get it replaced. So I was at Mitre 10. And as I was leaving the, shore, uh, the, the store paying for my goods... I felt God's Spirit say to me, this person is lost. That's all, all he said to me. So I thought, I started a conversation using the word lost. I didn't quite know how I started it. And that's all I had to do. Because she said, I am trying to find the answers in life. And she talked and talked and talked. And I'm going, and there's people waiting over, waiting over there. And all I did was respond to a whisper of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you to take the courage to respond to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. 
He has them there for you in your workplace. I think of a whisper that somebody's responded today. Um, it's Elska and Maria making cakes and having those out for uh, Brent and Colleen. That's a whisper of the Holy Spirit. That's a creative idea. That is fantastic, and we've enjoyed that today. And there's so much creative opportunity for us to walk in as the Spirit of God leads us. And here's the thing. That's going to show, most of all, in our workplaces, not here, in our Monday to Saturday life, not so much our Sunday life. So isn't that exciting? Hmm. Who thinks that's exciting? Yeah, it is. And, and I want to really encourage you to press into it because you can sit back over here and just be quite melancholic and disengaged and a passenger, as we heard before, or you can choose to go, I'm a physical being, I'm a spiritual being created in the image of God for such a time as this, anointed by God on assignment. As it says in John 16, you haven't chosen me, I chose you, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So you can ask the Father whatever you want, and he will give it you using my name. He goes on and says, I chose you to come out of the world, out of the world system, and into the kingdom of light to live as my son and my daughter. And I think this is the most beautiful thing. Flipping the paradox round now, we, we live with parental paradoxes, but there's a paradox that we live with God, and we are the paradox. God promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He promised to love us. He is our Father. He is much better. Jesus is much better than what you can think or imagine. Our paradox is we forget that, all the fullness of it, and try and do things over here by our own strength, by our own abilities. And that's a paradox that God wants us, rather than using honor to our parents, but is by faith is the antidote for doing things in our own strength, for doing them things in God's strength. And there is a world of unlimited opportunity that waits for us individually, as families, as a church, as we embrace God and wrestle with these paradoxes. Because it is a wrestling thing. But God is there helping us to get to the other side of it. I just I want to conclude with this last paradox. I think it's an important one. We don't speak about it much at Activate, but, but I feel to right at the moment. In Proverbs 3, I think it is, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. It's a paradox. Lord, if I give you money, you promise to pour back to me. I, haven't I got... It's, it's paradoxical. It's counterintuitive. So I'll be really open with your church. When I was a young believer, uh, when I first met Wendy, uh, her mother had taught her to tithe very diligently. And so Wendy earned uh, about $55 a week back 40 years, 30 years ago, whatever it was. Big time salary, eh? $55. And there, I'll never forget this, was her brown envelope with the number on the front of it. And she put $5.50 in it, sealed it up, gave it in the offering at church. And I thought, what are you doing? 
because I never knew about tithing. I hadn't been brought up on tithing. So she explained it. And her mum was incredibly diligent. Wendy has always been incredibly diligent to give, to tithe. And so when we got married, I was a little bit convicted, but this is my honest thinking. How can I afford to do it? I was wrestling. I was in this paradox of I can't afford to give. And so I became a, what I would call a spluttering tither. I would give sometimes and then I wouldn't other times. Sort of putting it in and pulling it out sort of thing. Who knows what it means? And that's, what, that's how I went. Until I had an encounter with God with it and I began to give consistently. Honor the Lord with the first fruits. And so I was confronting this paradox and I began to give. And then I began to give more. And I began to realize over here I thought I couldn't afford to give. But here I can't afford not to give. It changes. And here's what happens, what I learned. That when I'm giving my 10%, a tithe, the Lord says He redeems all of my finances. If I'm not honoring God with my finances, it's in this world system. But when I give, I'm putting all of my finances into the kingdom of God for Him to watch and protect. 